This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steve Brown. The New Testament. The New Testament, they tell us, is founded upon the prophecies of the old. If so, it must follow the fate of its foundation. As it is nothing extraordinary that a woman should be with child before she was married, and that the son she might bring forth should be executed, even unjustly, I see no reason for not believing that such a woman as Mary, and such a man as Joseph and Jesus, existed. Their mere existence is a matter of indifference about which there is no ground either to believe or to disbelieve, and which comes under the common head of, it may be so. And what then? The probability, however, is that there were such persons, or at least such as resembled them in part of the circumstances, because almost all romantic stories have been suggested by some actual circumstance, as the adventures of Robinson Crusoe, not a word of which is true, were suggested by the case of Alexander Selkirk. It is not the existence or non-existence of the persons that I trouble myself about. It is the fable of Jesus Christ, as told in the New Testament, and the wild and visionary doctrine raised thereon, against which I contend. The story taking it as it is told, is blasphemously obscene. It gives an account of a young woman engaged to be married, and while under this engagement, she is, to speak plain language, debauched by a ghost, under the impious pretense, Luke chapter 1, verse 35, that the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Notwithstanding which, Joseph afterward marries her, cohabits with her as his wife, and in his turn rivals the ghost. This is putting the story into intelligible language, and when told in this manner, there is not a priest but must be ashamed to own it. Footnote. Mary the supposed virgin mother of Jesus, had several other children, sons and daughters. See Matthew chapter 13, verses 55-56. End of footnote. Obscenity in matters of faith, however wrapped up, is always a token of fable and imposture. For it is necessary to our serious belief in God that we do not connect it with stories that run, as this does, into ludicrous interpretations. This story is upon the face of it, the same kind of story as that of Jupiter and Leda, or Jupiter and Europa, or any of the amorous adventures of Jupiter, and shows, as is already stated in the former part of the Age of Reason, that the Christian faith is built upon the heathen mythology. As the historical parts of the New Testament, so far as concerns Jesus Christ, are confined to a very short space of time, less than two years, 
and all within the same country, and nearly to the same spot, the discordance of time, place, and circumstance, which detects the fallacy of the books of the Old Testament, and proves them to be impositions, cannot be expected to be found here in the same abundance. The New Testament compared with the Old is like a farce of one act, in which there is not room for very numerous violations of the unities. There are, however, some glaring contradictions which, exclusive of the fallacy of the pretended prophecies, are sufficient to show the story of Jesus Christ to be false. I lay it down as a position which cannot be controverted. First, that the agreement of all the parts of a story does not prove that story to be true, because the parts may agree and the whole may be false. Secondly, that the disagreement of the parts of a story proves the whole cannot be true. The agreement does not prove true, but the disagreement proves falsehood positively. The history of Jesus Christ is contained in the four books ascribed to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first chapter of Matthew begins with giving a genealogy of Jesus Christ, and in the third chapter of Luke, there is also given a genealogy of Jesus Christ. Did those two agree, it would not prove the genealogy to be true, because it might, nevertheless, be a fabrication. But as they contradict each other in every particular, it proves falsehood absolutely. If Matthew speaks truth, Luke speaks falsehood. And if Luke speaks truth, Matthew speaks falsehood. And as there is no authority for believing one more than the other, there is no authority for believing either. And if they cannot be believed even in the very first thing they say and set out to prove, they are not entitled to be believed in anything they say afterward. Truth is a uniform thing, and as to inspiration and revelation, were we to admit it, it is impossible to suppose it can be contradictory. Either, then, the men called apostles are impostors, or the books ascribed to them have been written by other persons and fathered upon them as is the case with the Old Testament. The book of Matthew gives, chapter 1, verse 6, a genealogy by name from David up through Joseph, the husband of Mary, to Christ, and makes there to be 28 generations. The book of Luke gives also a genealogy by name from Christ through Joseph, the husband of Mary, down to David, and makes there to be 43 generations, besides which, there are only the two names of David and Joseph that are alike in the two lists. I here insert both genealogical lists, and for the sake of perspicuity and comparison, have placed them both in the same direction, that is, from Joseph down to David. Genealogy according to Matthew. Christ, Joseph, Jacob, Nathan, Eleazar, Eliud, Hachim, Sadak, Azor, Eliakim, Abiud, Zorababel, Salathiel, Jeconias, 
Hosias, Ammon, Manassas, Ezekias, Akaz, Hoatham, Ozias, Horam, Hosaphat, Asa, Abia, Roboam, Solomon, David. See footnote. Genealogy according to Luke. Christ, Joseph, Heli, Mathat, Lev, Melchi, Hannah, Joseph, Mattathias, Amos, Nam, Esli, Nagi, Math, Mattathias, Samia, Joseph, Judah, Joanna, Risa, Zorababi, Salathiel, Mary, Melchi, Adi, Kassam, Elmadam, Ur, Jose, Eliezer, Horim, Mathat, Levi, Simeon, Judah, Joseph, Jonan, Eliakim, Melia, Menan, Matatha, Nathan, David. Footnote. From the birth of David to the birth of Christ is upwards of 1,080 years, and as the lifetime of Christ is not included, there are but 27 full generations. To find, therefore, the average age of each person mentioned in the list at the time his first son was born, it is only necessary to divide 1,080 by 27, which gives 40 years of each person. As the lifetime of man was then but of the same extent it is now, it is an absurdity to suppose that 27 following generations should all be old bachelors before they married, and the more so when we are told that Solomon, the next in succession to David, had a house full of wives and mistresses before he was 21 years of age, so far from this genealogy being a solemn truth, it is not even a reasonable lie. The list of Luke gives about 26 years for the average age, and this is too much. End of footnote. Now, if these men, Matthew and Luke, set out with a falsehood between them as these two accounts show they do, in the very commencement of their history of Jesus Christ, and of whom and of what he was, what authority, as I have before asked, is there left for believing the strange things they tell us afterward, if they cannot be believed in their account of his natural genealogy? How are we to believe them when they tell us he was the Son of God begotten by a ghost, and that an angel announced this in secret to his mother? If they lied in one genealogy, why are we to believe them in the other? If his natural genealogy be manufactured, which it certainly is, why are we not to suppose that his celestial genealogy is manufactured also, and that the whole is fabulous? Can any man of serious reflection hazard his future happiness upon the belief of a story naturally impossible, repugnant to every idea of decency and related by persons already detected of falsehood? 
is it not more safe that we stop ourselves at the plain, pure, and unmixed belief of one God, which is deism, than that we commit ourselves on an ocean of improbable, irrational, and indecent and contradictory tales? The first question, however, upon the books of the New Testament, as upon those of the Old, is, are they genuine? Were they written by the persons of whom they are ascribed? For it is upon this ground only that the strange things related therein have been credited. Upon this point there is no direct proof for or against, and all that this state of a case proves is doubtfulness, and doubtfulness is the opposite of belief. The state, therefore, that the books are in proves against themselves as far as this kind of proof can go. But exclusive of this, the presumption is that the books called the evangelists and ascribed it to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were not written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that they are impositions. The disordered state of history in those four books, the silence of one book upon matters related in the other, and the disagreement that is to be found among them implies that they are the production of some unconnected individuals many years after the things they pretend to relate, each of whom made his own legend and not the writings of men living intimately together, as the men called the apostles are supposed to have done. In fine, that they have been manufactured, as the books of the Old Testament have been, by other persons than those whose names they bear. The story of the angel announcing what the church calls the Immaculate Conception is not so much as mentioned in the books ascribed to Mark and John, and is differently related in Matthew and Luke. The former says the angel appeared to Joseph. The latter says it was to Mary. But either Joseph or Mary was the worst evidence that could have been thought of, for it was others that should have testified for them and not they for themselves. Were any girl that is now with child to say, and even to swear it, that she was gotten with child by a ghost, and that an angel told her so, would she be believed? Certainly she would not. Why, then, are we to believe the same thing of another girl, whom we never saw, told by nobody knows who, nor when, nor where, how strange and inconsistent it is that the same circumstance that would weaken the belief even of a probable story should be given as a motive for believing this one that has upon the face of it every token of absolute impossibility and imposture. End of section 14